So since the beginning of our short history of our church community together, we've been taking a nod from some guidance from the historic church. And uh, the historic Christian church has developed these seasons throughout the year, which in and of themselves reveal the story of the gospel. And this is especially important in places like California where the seasons are very mild and we don't really experience any change. Uh, the, the seasons of the church give us an opportunity to lean into different times. Feasting and fasting is essentially the rhythm that the seasons represent. And what can, what can start to feel a little heavy about this time of year, if you're leaning into the season of Lent, is, wow, I've been talking about my needs here for a few weeks. I've been really trying to simplify things for a few weeks or trying to be focused on or aware of, um, of the parts of my life that aren't necessarily wonderful and glorious. And in our culture, we spend a lot of time trying to sort of fabricate an image that feels like it's always doing well or looks like it's always doing well, and so it can be more difficult to be honest about our needs. But this is where we are. This is what the invitation of this season is, is to be honest about our needs so that we can recognize as we walk into this space on Easter morning just how deeply we need the, the salvation that is offered to us through Christ, right? So um, we will continue in this vein. Uh, this morning, I've invited Leah McKinney to speak. Uh, she and her husband, Ken, have been a part of our church for a couple of years. Before they moved in this area, they were in San Francisco working with a church, and she's going to tell part of that story today. But what I really appreciate about uh, Leah's message this morning is the transparency, the authenticity. I'm grateful that there are several. There's actually eight or nine people from within our own church who have shared in the teaching ministry of our church, and it just feels so it feels so real to me. It feels so authentic to me. I want to hear these stories, and I want to be taught by people within our own community. So Leah, join us again this morning, if you would, and welcome Leah McKinney with me, please. morning. Hi, thanks for the warm welcome. I'm so glad to be here. Ken and I have really enjoyed getting to be a part of this amazed community. And sometimes, you know, when you get involved with stuff, you get to know, you know, you get to know somebody better and you like them less. You know how that goes? <laughs> I'm just be really honest. But the, and sometimes you get to know uh, anything better and you're like, ah, it's not what I thought it was. Well, what we love about Emmaus is just the consistency and the authenticity. And the more we get to know Emmaus, the longer we're here, the more we like it. Um, and so thank you for being a part of that community. Thank you for being a part of that welcoming group for us um, a while ago. I am glad to be here this morning. Um, we're going to get to some stories this morning, but I wanted to start with... Um, when I was a teenager, I spent most of my summers um, on missions trips. And when I read the Bible, it's these little things that happen on missions trips that sometimes give me a picture of maybe a little glimpses of what life was like with Jesus. And um, I spent, I used to get this catalog in the mail and I would flip through it and look for the most challenging thing I could find and I would pick that. And my poor parents, God bless them. I don't, they said yes so many times to me. And so I spent two months in Albania um, in a little village. We were supposed to go backpacking. So off we went and I lived with this, um, a woman and her sons and another one of my teammates. And she had this little boy named Laylee and he was probably like four. And I remember him vividly because we would often walk through the village and go to do whatever we were doing. Um, we were supposed to be planning a church. So I was in charge of kids ministry. So all these kids would like follow me around and they would each hold a finger, which was fine until Laylee, the four-year-old, would like take your finger and like rip it backwards. Like try to rip your hand and you were like, oh, 
um, walking down the street. And, you know, it made me think of, like, the disciples. Remember when they, like, shoo the children away from Jesus? It's because there was a lady trying to rip people's fingers off. And it's like they knew, and they were just trying to save Jesus from yelling at a child. Not that he would do that. Um, but it gave me this little glimpse. On that same trip, our leaders got us up one morning. They wanted us to hike this hill and watch the sunset. Um, the funniest part about the story is when you wake up in the morning, so my friend and I, we each had our own little bed in the living room, but we slept in the same bed because we were afraid of the rats. And so when the lights would go off in this woman's house, you would hear this every night. And so we had to get up before dark, and we knew there were rats, so they were like throwing things on the floor to like get them to run, and then one, we were like daring each other, who's going to get out and turn off the lights? But anyway, that's not even the point of the story. We climbed this mountain, and I'm sitting there, and it's quiet, and it's beautiful, and it's the sacred moment, and then you, I heard something coming. I wasn't sure what it was, and I looked behind me, and it's like a whole herd of goats is coming over the mountain with the shepherd, and I just, it, I was like, oh, this is like Jesus on a hill teaching with a herd of, it just reminds me of those moments. Um, a final time, I was in India another time, and I got this not-so-brilliant idea. I was 17 this time. Have you ever been the person that went on a missions trip and brought the bubbles or the stickers or the candy for the children and then realized that was a really bad idea? Has anyone ever done that? Okay, so what happens is you get mobbed. And so I had gone out all by myself with all these chocolate bars to this group of children, and they, like, ran me over with the chocolate bars. And so I'm, like, getting pushed into bikes. I'm knocking things over. I'm like, retreat. This is a really bad idea. But India was um, a country for me that was really shocking to me. It was very different than where I had grown up in my little North Carolina coastal town. India was a place where I would see just sick people in the streets. Um, beggars, children who were sleeping, and there's like flies climbing all over them. And I would think, how could you sleep through that? And then you realize, oh, they're probably sick. They're malnourished. Um, there's so much more going on to that story. Um, people who were begging, people with leprosy, is a very different kind of sickness than what we see on our streets here. And um, that is kind of where we find Jesus at the beginning of chapter 9 in Matthew, um, chapter 9, verse 18. And he was in Capernaum. Capernaum was a prosperous city. It was a crowded city. It was on a trade route. And so there's a lot of people there. People knew, you know, we've been learning about the miracles of Jesus, what he was doing. People were bringing their sick people to him. And so I don't know what it was like, but I assume that it was a crowded place. There was a lot of people, and there were a lot of sick people around. And that is where he was with his ministry. And I kind of had this idea. If we were to imagine Jesus coming to Roseville and he was going where there was a lot of people, where would he go in Roseville with a lot of people? Go to the Galleria, right? That's where all the people are. Um, and it would be different there. We wouldn't see people who were lame or blind or demon-possessed. We wouldn't um, people, see people physically diseased with leprosy. Um, but what I think you would see, what Jesus would see, was what was going on in people's hearts and the illnesses happening in their hearts. And you know, so many times we read that Jesus was healing every kind of sickness and every kind of illness. And so often what we need is healing from broken hearts, broken relationships, um, addictions, betrayals, so many different things than what we see in the Bible. And so while our culture is different and our sicknesses are different, Jesus is still the same. He's the same person. And so Nate, Pastor Nate was talking about how we're in the season of Lent. And if you were here that Wednesday night, he asked this question, how is your heart? And that's kind of the question I want to go into this morning with, how is your heart? So we're going to read these stories, um, chapter 9, verse 18, and I'm just going to read them to you, and then we're going to get into them. 
While he was saying this, a synagogue leader came and knelt before him and said, My daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her and she will live. Jesus got up and went with him and so did his disciples. Just then, a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, If only I touch his cloak, I will be healed. Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that moment. And then when Jesus entered the synagogue leader's house and saw the noisy crowd and the people playing pipes, he said, go away. The girl is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. And after the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took the girl by the hand and she got up. News of this spread throughout all that region. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, have mercy on us, son of David. And when he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him, and he asked them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. And then he touched their eyes and said, According to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. And Jesus warned them sternly, See that no one knows about this. And so in this, these three stories, we have a father with a dead daughter, a woman who had been fighting her illness for 12 years. We know from the account in Mark that she had suffered much at the hands of many. Um, and we have two blind men following and crying out to Jesus for mercy. So when they heard that Jesus had come to town, they went looking for answers. They went after him. And I have this question for you. Have you ever found yourself in a chapter of your story that you didn't want? And I bet these people felt that way. This is not the story I wanted. No one wants to have a child on the brink of death or a dead child. Nobody wants a debilitating illness. Nobody wants to be without sight. And so every single one of them, they were all desperate. They were in a desperate moment in their lives. But every single one of them went after Jesus as the answer, even when they didn't know the outcome. If my child was sick in bed, it would be hard for me to leave that place to go to Jesus as the answer when I didn't know if he'd be able to do anything about it. So I grew up in a stable home, two um, Christian parents. I went on missions trips as a teenager. I worked for a ministry um, that ministered to teenagers when I was in my 20s. Then Ken and I, we met, we got married. We had a great season, our first five years, um, just doing the newlywed, working newlywed season, working for a Christian nonprofit that we loved. Um, after that, we we felt like we were supposed to go to San Francisco and plant a church there. We had had church planning in our hearts for a while and decided to move to San Francisco and raise our family there and start a church. And it was kind of the leap of faith, right? Like off the cliff. My parents thought we were crazy. Um, I grew up in North Carolina. So to move to California was already really far away. To move to San Francisco was like, I might as well have gone to Timbuktu. But this move and this church plant, that was our story. And it was like a really great adventure. And it was super hard, just like life is. It was really hard, but it felt like it was worth it. It felt like we were stepping out, and it had that sense, you know, when you make these decisions, if I don't do this, I'm going to regret it for the rest of my life. It was that kind of moment, like, what if we would have? What if we would have? So we did, and we planted the church, and we were well into that. Um, our kids were going to school there. We were well into that story and the ups and downs of it. But many years into that, I found myself in an entirely different place. Um, it was no longer a grand adventure. And I remember writing in my journal and having this kind of conversation with God. God, had I known this path, that this was my path, 
I never would have made these choices. Like, why, why am I here? Um, we, at that time, had closed the church. Um, our family had been in an incredible season of stress, and our marriage was in crisis. Um, between that and some wounds I took as a pastor's wife in ministry that were hard on me, I just, if I had been at that Lent service and Pastor Nate had asked me, how's my heart? I would have said there wasn't much left of my heart. It was just squashed, done, um, in a lot of different pieces. And I think for me and for those people, when your child is dead in a bed, (laughs) um, when you're in that desperate place, it can feel like your story has ended. It feels like the end, right? Have you ever been in that place? Are you in that place? You're like, that's it. But, but, I never needed Jesus like I did in that season. He became more real to me in that season of pain and that season of brokenness than he had an entire lifetime of goodness. There's a verse that I love, and it became... It's just a little bit earlier in Matthew. He's teaching before these the stories happen with these people. He says, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And growing up in this very Christian circle, very bu- bubble, worked for Christian nonprofits, um, that verse always felt very black and white to me. Like there's the sinners, and then you get saved. And that's who Jesus came for. But all of a sudden, I was that person. I was the sick person. I was the one who needed Jesus to come and to rescue my heart. And his sacrifice on the cross and what he did there became incredibly valuable to me, more valuable than it had ever been, ever before in my life. And I think one of the greatest losses in God's kingdom is when people turn from Jesus instead of to Jesus in those moments of crisis, because that's why he came. That's why the cross is here. And it can be the difference between staying on the shore, like Nate talked about last week, there's this invitation, you can stay on the shore and watch, or you can get in the boat. And the boat isn't necessarily easy, but the boat is the answer, people, and the waves and whatever goes with it. Um, So these four people, going back to the story, they chose the dad, the woman, and the two blind men. They chose Jesus as the answer. And this is the obvious question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. What was their outcome? What happened to them? Just yell it out. They were... They were healed, right? They were healed. It's so obvious. They were healed. We know the ending because we have read that story, and we know it, and we learned it in Sunday school, most of us. Um, We learned it in Sunday school. We've heard it over and over again. But in that moment, they didn't know. They didn't know the end of their story. She didn't know she was going to be healed. The blind men didn't know they were going to get their sight back. They weren't sure. And when you're in the middle of your story, you don't always know what kind of story it is, right? When you're in the middle of your story, you don't know. Is it a tragedy? Is it an unsolved mystery? Is it a fairy tale? Like, what kind of story is this? Kind of you're like, ah, what kind of story is this? But what you realize is that Jesus came for our broken bodies, and Jesus came for our broken hearts. And when you're in that place, when you've been there, I want you to recognize the sacredness of your desperate moment. It's a place of fellowship with Jesus that you don't get until you're in that place. But he suffered on the cross, and there's that phrase, fellowship of the suffering. You're in, that, you're in this special 
little secret place with Jesus where all of a sudden you get it to a whole different level. But how did Jesus respond to those people? He says, the girl is not dead. She's sleeping. He knows the end of your story. She's just sleeping. To the woman who I think touched him, there's a translation that says, cheer up. Have you ever had a bad day? Do you know what I would do if someone told me to cheer up on a bad day? Let me tell you what about, no, you would, I would come undone. I would be throwing pans or bagels or whatever was in my hand that morning. But Jesus gets to say, cheer up, because he knows the end of our story. And there was another um, person that was at the well or at the pool of water, remember? And the angel comes and stirs it. And if they get in, they get healed. And remember what Jesus asks them? Do you want to be made well? Do you want to be well? I hate that question. And I love that question. And when it comes to our hearts, Jesus goes straight to those really hard questions. And in that wake of that season, I desperately wanted a whole heart. I had been around broken people and I did not want to be broken but I knew that I, like that was here and I needed to be over here. And there's that question in the middle, do you want to be well? And really, I, my conversation, I want to be angry. I want to be right. I want justice. I wanted a lot of things. But they were not on the path to well. And having a heart made well means surrendering those outcomes and making the choices that seem exactly opposite of what you want to do. And there's a verse that always keeps my heart in check. It's Matthew 5, 8. It says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And purity of heart is to want one thing, and that's Jesus. And when you choose Jesus, you choose faith, you choose humility, you choose forgiveness, you choose confession. Like, choosing Jesus is not the easy route, but choosing Jesus is the path to well. And when you do what you can do with those choices, then Jesus will do only what he can do. And it is a miracle in your heart because there's only stuff that he can do, but you have to do something as well. Um, in the middle of that season, we had decided to take a family day, and I was not. I wasn't in the mood for it. I didn't want to go, um, but we were going to be home with our kids all day, and we had this tradition of going to this um, little farm South Bay area with goats that, like, it was spring, all these little baby goats, and they're adorable, and so we're like, let's go see the baby goats. We did it every year. They had a good cheese shop, but anyway, I didn't want to go. I, it was a gray day, and I wasn't in the mood, but I rallied myself, and off we went. And on the car drive on the way down, we are sitting in, like, a parking lot of traffic on Highway 1. Like, it's not going well for us. Um, but we had packed a lunch, and I remember on the way down there, I had said, like, you know, I don't normally do this, but I just, I'm like, you know, God, I would really love to see a whale today. <laughs> that was, like, my, I don't, I don't know. I, I lived in California for years. I'd never seen a whale. We lived, like, really close to the ocean. I should have seen whales because we're, like, in the migrating strip, you know, but I'd never seen a whale. I was like, God, I want to see a whale today. And, um, but what goes on that trip on my way down with my cranky self and we just decide, give up on the goat farm. We're going to take a right and just go to a state beach and have a picnic and go for a walk with the kids and just whatever, do it, make the lemon out of lemonade, that thing and go back home. So we're in the middle of that. But I felt like this thing that God spoke to my heart was Leah, there's beauty in the gray. If you have eyes to see it, there's beauty in the gray. And that's the season I was in. It wasn't very pretty. It was gray. But um, we went on this hike, and Cole was really little, so I took him back to the car early. And I'm sitting in the car, and, like, for me to, like, the back wall is the ocean, and there's all these people on the beach playing football and having a picnic. And I look up, and there's a whale playing in the surf. And I was like, oh, my gosh, there's a whale. So I get out of the car, and I'm, like, yelling and screaming, there's a whale! Like, look! 
And like, they didn't care. They just thought I was crazy. They just missed it. They missed the gray. I'm like, there's beauty in the gray. You know, you want to like preach a sermon on the beach, but I didn't. I just yelled and then they ignored me. And then I just took in the moment with Cole. Two-year-olds don't see whales very well. Or one-year-old, how old, however old he was, he didn't appreciate it either. But I saw the whale. Um, and years later, um, right before we moved, we, we went on another walk. That's what we love to do. There's a place called Land's End, and it's just beautiful. And the sun was going down. It was this amazing sunset. And I looked out. Um, we were just hiking with the kids, and I saw whales again. And it just reminded me of the time prior. And I'm like, you know what? I couldn't see this moment like how great we were, how much healing had happened, how much beauty there was, our family restored. Like I couldn't see that moment back there in the gray, but God did. He saw both. And so the whales became this like meaningful thing for me of God just saying, see, it's okay. I got you covered. I can give you a whale. You need a whale? No, he doesn't do that. (laughs) It doesn't work that way, but it worked that way for me just for that moment. Um, So I was sick in bed last week, like a lot of people was going around. I wasn't that sick, but it kind of took me out for the day, and I was mostly resting, and I didn't get much done that day. I got rolled out of bed, got the kids to school an hour late on accident. I don't even know how that happens, but it did. (laughs) What? School started an hour ago? Literally, I had to go in the office in my pajamas because I was going to just drop them at the door, but anyway, I was sick, Um, but mostly I just stayed in bed that day, and the house kind of got to be messy. You know, you don't get that much done when you're sick. You're like, okay, who cares? Um, But that's the same way it is with our hearts. Like, when we don't care for our hearts, it keeps us from doing, like, what God wants us to do. It keeps us from doing our purpose. Like, we can't get our work done, our good work, the good things, because we're walking around with damaged hearts. There is this great chapter of Psalm 107, and it starts with, um, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And then it kind of goes through all the story of the Jews and bad things that could happen, like calamity, loss, and hunger, darkness, and death, sin, and affliction, fears of storms, all these scary things that they were afraid of, but like all through it out, they're talking about how Jesus comes in and saves and how God showed up for them, and it kind of goes back and forth. And at the very end of the chapter, it has this line that I love, and it says, they will see in our history the faithful love of the Lord. And that was the story I wanted. I did not want the story earlier. I was like, this is not the story I wanted. But this faithful history of the love in the Lord, in the ups and the downs, in the good and the bad, in the crisis and in the victories, Let people see. Let that be my prayer. Let that be my story. And I can choose that, that people would see the history of the faithful love of the Lord. So God is writing a story of redemption in your life. He's not just the author up in heaven writing, like, good luck. Hope it works out for you. He is the protagonist. He is in the story with you. You see the difference? Not just up there. Hey, good luck. I wrote a hard chapter for you. No, he's in there. He's your hero. He's the protagonist. He's the one that's coming after you. Jesus is headed to the cross to set our hearts free. There's one more thing that all these stories have in common. God used their stories. He recorded them in his word for us to read over and over and over again. He knew they'd be familiar to us. We all knew those, most of us knew those stories, right? They're Sunday school stories. He knew we'd see the outcomes, even though they didn't. He knew that they would help us to believe. The father and the daughter, the women, the two men, their stories were shared, recorded in the Bible, and they've been taught and inspired millions of people to pray for healing. God's goodness in our hard stories, God's goodness in your hard stories is reason for others to believe. I would love to stand up here and not tell the story. You know, I don't have to. I didn't, I'm not from here. None of you know me back in San Francisco. I could just tuck that away 
and never have to share that story. But the thing is, God's goodness in our hard stories gives reasons for others to believe that there is good in your story, wherever you are. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a pastor. I'm not a counselor. I am not here to give you these specific steps to, that can tell you what exactly you need. Um, I'm sure that we can share res- resources and tools, but I am here as a testimony of God's ability to heal broken hearts, of God's ability to make all things new. I couldn't be here teaching. I couldn't volunteer in kids' ministry if it wasn't for his work in our life. Our marriage and our family wouldn't be where it is without him. We've seen our marriage and our ministry restored. That's an amazing, wonderful thing. I'm so grateful for that. But that's not the greatest thing. The greatest thing is the miracle that happens when you know that Jesus can make your heart whole regardless of the outcome. In our lives, we often are waiting for the outcome, right? We want to know. The physical miracles of dead to life, illness is cured, sight restored. They're so so inspiring, so perfect. But what you'll find is there's a different kind of healing where your heart is restored to weather whatever the outcome is. Your heart can be restored in Jesus to weather whatever storm comes your way. We've been talking about this idea of emptying yourself to be filled with something else. And so the challenge this week is to empty yourself of the need to know the outcomes in order to be filled with the assurance of God's good plans for your life. So I want to end with these two things. If you're in a place in your story, you're in a desperate place in your story, um, then I hope my own testimony has been able to encourage you. And I've already been praying for you. I've been praying for you for like several weeks that God would do a healing work in your life. For those of you who've never hit this place, um, if it feels still kind of far away, like the tragedy that happened in... Indonesia or something, you know, it's like, oh, that happened to other people, not you. When the storms, especially young people, you're new, you're young, you haven't, you don't have a whole history yet to live out. When the storms kick up in your life, it's not the end of your story. And that's something I wish I would have known. An unplanned pregnancy is not the end of your story. Not getting into that college is not the end of your story. That career thing that didn't go the way you thought it was going to go, it's not the end of your story. There is so much more. It is the beginning of a great work in your life when you lean into God, when you choose him, when you let go of those outcomes and you press into him. It is the beginning of a deep work in your life. He's not abandoned you. He's right there being the hero in your story. So I'm going to just close us with a word of prayer. God, we thank you that you're with us. I thank you for every person in this room. God, you know their story. You know where they've been. You know the battles they're fighting that we don't even know. You know what's going on in their hearts. And God, I pray that you would show up for people today. You would show up for people this week. God, if they need a whale, um, if they just need to know that they've been seen, that you see them exactly where they are. God, would you give us that assurance today? Would you give people the courage to lean into you even when it feels hard, even when they don't know all the outcomes? God, give us the hope it and you as our answer. In Jesus' name, amen.